Welcome back to part two of the Cultural Humility Faculty Panel Discussion. This episode begins with a response from Dr. Savitra Dixon-Saxon to Dr. Jesse Lee. Jesse, you know what? That is one of the challenges that I hope I'm, I'm learning. One of the things I hope I'm learning is that, you know, there are times that I just don't have all the answers. And one of the things that I think has allowed me to be successful in my role here is acknowledging when I don't have the answers and working with the person who's really invested in a good solution to come up with something that's the right solution within the framework of where I think I'm working and what it has to be, right? And so that has taken so much pressure. I always tell people I became a better counselor when I walked into every session deciding I knew nothing and had none of the answers. And I listened to my client tell me where they wanted to go and I helped them evaluate the choices and consequences at each stage in the process of their journey. And so, you know, when I think about how I interact with people, it is important for me to not succumb to the pressure of people thinking I'm supposed to have answers and stop and say, what do you want to get out of this? And then, <laughs> then we can start talking about potential solutions. Ben, you know, Dr. Dixon, yes. If I can just follow up with you and Jesse, one of the things I think is important is the word the word you use was listening. And what I used to tell people when I worked with clients and, and even with some of my students, I said, God gave us two ears and one mouth, meaning we need to listen more than what we want to talk because sometimes we're so anxious to get our point of view out. We're waiting for the person to stop talking so we can start yes. telling them what we want, that we don't stop to say, okay, wait a minute, let me process what they said first before I respond. We're ready to respond. We already got our response ready before the person's even finished um, with their dialogue. So, you know, like Jesse's saying, you know, what you did with that client, Jesse, you listened to what she was saying, uh, then you responded. And that's important when we're talking about cultural humility or talking about working with people who are different than we are, we need to be able to listen to their story, listen to their, about their culture, listen to about their life. Um, because when I, when I talk to the students, I said, I come to this world um, and you know, my rose colored glasses are being a black male in America from a major city, urban city, um, and that's who I am. So I don't know what it's like to be, to come from um, small Mayberry, USA. You have to tell me what that's like for you. And I have to listen to what, what that was like for you and how that shaped who you are today. Thank you. Yes. If I could add something to what Lamart was just saying is, um, Lamart, what you are saying is so true. And uh, also, if we define culture, your next neighborhood can have also a different culture. You know, we are living in a world where a classroom, a school, a college uh, might have a different culture. As Savitra, you are saying, our online cultures are so different from a traditional brick and mortar university. And if we are aware of those differences and we understand even a person from my same race, from my same country might have a whole different culture as we look at things that socializes us, that you know, raises us and 
builds our um, thought processes. Yes. Um, so that's something we definitely need to be aware of. Savitra, may I add? Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about the brick and mortar versus the online, we really need to consider that experience online. I've really been thinking about this over the past year because I think, especially in social work, when we really dive into these issues, a lot of the learning comes from each other and learning mm -hmm. from peers. And so I've been thinking about, well, so how do we do social identity in the online environment? And I hope this is okay to share, but um, I decided to do some independent research and uh, through the participant pool, surveyed about 200 of our Walden students. And I just pulled the data, so I don't have it all analyzed, but one of the things that I did look at is I asked, you know, um, why is it or is it not important for you to share your social identity? And I was surprised at how many students start to touch on that safe space. Mm -hmm. Is that for some, they recognize like, yeah, it's important because this is how we build community. Mm -hmm. And others were like, yeah, I'm not going to share because we don't have community. I'm never going to see these people again. It's none of their business. And that fear of if I do share, especially oh, yeah. if I share age or race or conservative values or sexual orientation, my ideas are going to get dismissed or I'm not going to be graded fairly. And so those end up being reasons why students don't want to share their social identity where, hey, I can just have this blank space. And therefore, you're just judging me on the quality of my work and not who I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. And then that worries me because then how are you doing that work and recognizing everything that comes into and how are you learning to deal with that difference if you're erasing it in the online classroom? You know, can I jump on Gina's point? Um, and as you know, Gina and I, we've worked together for the last how many years? And, and it's, you know, what you said is, is indicative of how many people feel. And one of the things that I mentioned in, in, in a workshop um, that I attended was there's a lot of calls for people to give of themselves in quote, safe spaces. And there's also, people are really tentative about sharing because they're not sure what will happen with that information. Can you handle me saying as an African Caribbean woman from England that this has been my experience, you know? So sometimes you may put stuff out there, the students may put stuff out there and, and, you, and it will be received with, wow, that's really good. Now let's move on to um, baking bread with more yeast. So you've just put stuff out there, it's exploded and there's silence around what you've put out there that's come from from a place you've thought about that before you put it out there so i think it goes back to what are we doing when students have put stuff out there what have we done how have we handled that what mechanisms do we have in place to ensure that their voices are heard not only that but you know are we trustworthy ourselves are we modeling what we are coming down with that big hammer saying are we living it? Are our students at the table contributing? Are our faculty at the table at different levels contributing their expertise in this season? So we have to understand that every one of us, we're weary, we're concerned, we're not sure, but we want to ensure that we contribute to the greater good and social change. But we've got to acknowledge that there's some feelings based on my experience and how I've been dealt with by people I know 
and vice versa. Let's begin with those honest conversations in-house and be and get and be be intentional about cleaning up because when it's like when you sit there hearing the preacher preach and you know what he's been doing or she's been doing behind closed doors it takes away from the value and the message so let's get the messaging right by getting that mirror like michael jackson says i'm starting with a woman in the mirror um in order to be he says man in the mirror but i said woman because that's who i am let's begin there that's how change comes about it's who on earth am I and what is my impact? And is it positive, negative? And begin there, seek help, go to someone who can help you say, you know what, Kath, I think here are some things you need to think about before you consider doing so-and-so. So we need to get that feedback so we can make our journey a realistic one and be that true agent of change. Yeah. So, Vitra, so, yes. I, I, I'm, we're keeping you from jumping in now. You was doing all now. Uh, I love that. <laughs> you know, KG, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about, it's about being, like you said, being the model or being what we want to see. And I, and we've talked a, a lot on this call about training. Um, and I, I love conversations, but what I also love to see come out of conversations is a call to action. Mm. And we talked a lot about training. I, what I'm learning and, uh, as a result, and Jesse and I have a great relationship being in law enforcement and as an executive in law enforcement for 27 years, and looking at this current crisis and everybody saying police officers need more training, more training, more training. There's tons of training in, in law enforcement departments all over the country. What I'm starting to see is there is a difference between training and learning. And what we really don't need is more training academies. What we need is more learning academies because learning leads to doing and doing leads to change behaviors. And so what I'd love to see as we, we talk about cultural humility uh, is moved to having more learning sessions that lead to change behavior versus watching a video, clicking on a couple buttons, and you don't even remember what you just watched in the video and you go back to doing your classroom the way you've always done it. I would rather see learning take place that leads to behavior change. And then I'm gonna keep coming back to Brett as he's looking to increase our numbers in this university as we do webinars and, and television ads and all that other stuff, the best marketing tool we can have is the intent to endorse by our own students. If That's we right. treat them right, they will market for us. That's, That's right. when they go to residence and you start getting calls to, have a, to be a chair on 10 other committees. It's like, how do you know about me? Oh, your student was at the residency. It's the intent to endorse if we treat our students the way they, they should be treated. Learning. I agree. So, so I want to ask a question that's somewhat related to part of what you all have been saying. Um, in the last couple of months, one of the things I've been challenged with, Benton, is whether or not I'm saying the right thing. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of cultural brokers who will say to me, I'm not saying the right thing at different points. And things silence me. And what I'm, I've started to discover is that there is a difference in who I am as and my experiences as a middle-aged African-American woman with the experience of young African-American uh, people. So there are some different attitudes about things and approaches. And it just kind of brought home the point to me, Benton, um, so you know the question that's coming to you. 
about how dynamic the world is. And as someone who's a, been a student of this conversation from the point of appreciating diversity in the 90s to where we are, you know, to accepting diversity, to developing cultural competence to where we are today of cultural humility, it's a lot to keep up with. I will tell you a quick story before I turn to you. Um, we had a former colleague was here in my state presenting and I was so excited about going to her, her, her session. And it was a session that was primarily about se sexual orientation. Um, this happened maybe like six or seven years ago. And I walked in and they were talking and we were in small groups and one of the, my, my small group, one of the people in my small group looked at me and referred to me as cisgender. And I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? What is that? You know, <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, I didn't, I wasn't keeping up with the language. And now I see people writing Latin X and folks with an X. And I'm like, what does that mean? My question to you, Ben, is how do we move in a dynamic society where being, well, as educators, we're trying to help our students when things are changing so rapidly for us, how do we work through those changes? The first, the first word that came to my mind was fear because everything all over the world, I think, but spe specifically in America, I, th I think that any new group or any change has been met with fear. Like, what is that gonna do to me? How is it gonna change me? Uh, how is it taking away my uh, rights uh, somehow? Um, sometimes people project that, at least I know I projected that on myself. So I'll be vulnerable and give a couple of, of examples uh, of change. Uh, one change that, that has happened in my lifetime is the um, increase of Latinos in the nation. So now they are the largest minority group. And one of the fears that I had uh, as, as this was happening was, what's gonna happen to black people? What's gonna, we enjoyed attention because we were the largest minority. Now are we not gonna get attention? Are they not gonna care even more? Because now Latinos are, right? And so I'm like, well, what's that fear about? Right. Uh, the other fear was um, that uh, I worked through was with uh, the Muslim. In my church, uh, Muslim was this evil thing, and they they would really preach and teach on it, and oh, this evil and wicked, all these things. Right. And so, as laws were beginning to change around the nation, some people would uh, say, "Well, you know, the Muslims are coming in and they're changing the laws and they're putting their uh, culture, their stamp into the laws, and this is bad." And, and so there was this this fear of change and this di dynamic change was happening and, and this fear was being instilled until I started asking questions. What's that gonna do? Maybe it's better. You know, <laughs> maybe some of the laws that they're bringing in or whatever that people might think, maybe that's better. The Latinos will bring a, a different perspective that I'm going to really like. And so I started looking at some of these things like, wow, there's other people bringing up uh, similar issues that were happening. So now the, the base is bigger. So now this is helping. Um, so I, I think that getting working through fear and getting rid of the fear by asking yourself questions about what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? Um, why? Uh, and, and then the other question is, how will this be beneficial to me? How, how will this change really actually help me as opposed to um, taking me backwards? So in my mind, I think that that's 
that's part of the the help um, is is working through fear and, and accepting the change. It's an, an, an inevitable. We're all going to change. We're going to get older. We're going to things are going to happen. We might move to different parts. Change is inevitable. And as soon as we can embrace that and um, affirm it, the better off we're going to be. So, yeah. so that's your advice to me in that regard to really be thoughtful about how you know i guess it is that's the other part of humility right is to accept that i am not all knowing about this and that my learning is going to be evolving for a lifetime that mm -hmm. it's not someplace where i'm going to feel like i've arrived because society will always mm -hmm. change and i need to be open to the possibility, the real possibility that I may wind up benefiting from learning something from, from engaging in this learning process. And, and let me add this real quickly too. I found out, I did a presentation with, with on working with Muslim families. And um, one of the things that I found out while I was studying for that was that um, we used to say this was a Christian nation, that this was founded as a Christian nation. What I found was in the National Rotunda, somewhere in one of those National <laughs> Rotundas uh, mall or something, the founding fathers had put the actual, the, the founding principles or the guiding principles of America in the Rotunda, right, on the ceiling. And when you look, there's all kinds of symbols up there. One of them was the Quran. It was actually part of the founding of America were principles from the Quran. So it was really interesting as we, like you said, as Facts change, and then they should change us, and and our our identity or our, our definition of of what and who we are. I like that nugget. I like that a lot. Hey, Greg, I am going to ask you a question. <laughs> you know, I know that we have people, and we have to understand that we represent a lot of different people who really are struggling to understand how this conversation um, benefits this ideal of providing a universal education to the students who come to our university. How would you support them or what would you offer to them, um, those people who are having those thoughts right now? You know, first off, I'd like to say this, you know, we, we as a people have to believe that people start out with good intentions. You know, um, I just responded in the chat and Renata, I'm, I'm not calling you out, Dr. Renata, um, but Savitra, you called out something during our preparation session. You said you reached out to the leaders and asked for them to nominate people to be on this panel. And as a result, when you saw the panel, it looks like it looks. And it, it, may not, it may not appear to be a lot of diversity on this panel. But you reached out to the leaders and got this, the, the nominees. It just happened that this is what you got. And you went with it, but you also acknowledged it. And I think, you know, um, and so I appreciate Dr. Renata actually seeing it and being, as, as Tamika said, not only having a safe zone to speak up, but being having courage to put it in the chat box to say, hey, hey, look at this panel. You know, maybe some of this starts with us, but the intentions were good. And there was nothing malicious about um, putting this panel together. It's just what came in. And we went with it. 
you know, rather than cutting it down. And so I think it's important as uh, me as a leader, what I try to do is to say people come with good intentions. My students are coming into my class with good intention. My peers, my colleagues have good intentions. And then we, and then I go from there um, versus making assumptions. And then I challenge my own assumed constraints. Some people, we're all talking about normal and going back to normal, but sometimes people normal is all they know. I'm a boy from Compton. My normal wasn't so good. It was bars on our front door. It was bars on our window. It was family members going to college. It was gangs. I don't want to go back to normal. So we have to understand that some people's normal, your normal may be good, but somebody else's normal may not be something they want to go back to. They need a new normal. And I think that's important as we invite people in to understand their circumstances and not to be colorblind, but to appreciate their differences, their differences, and, and, and then move with that and, and just say that people have good intentions. And I have, I, I want to add, thank you. Hey, Greg, I want to add to your perspective too. Um, when, when we think about the panelists today, one of the things that came to my mind was the system, that the system that we have at Walden dictated to us who was going to be here. That's my belief. My theory may or may not be true, but I think that we decide how things are going to go. We have the power to change, right? We have the power. I believe the system in of itself at Walden has the power to change and, and correct things. But I also think that we're um, looking at the panel, we're looking at visible minorities, and, and that's another aspect and not the invisible minorities. There might be, as I, I know some, there might be more diversity in this panel than what is what we think. There might be Asians. That's right. Right, there might be uh, Latinos here and other things. We don't know, LGBT, all kinds of different, older, younger. There's all kinds of diversity that's reflected here. So I'll just shut up. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Brendan, <laughs> one thing I, I would mention about diversity is the gender. You know, mm -hmm. I am from a country where gender, based on my gender, we got discriminated a lot. So gender brings a huge diversity for me. And another thing, after coming to US, what I'm seeing, there's a, uh, what they call Asian privilege. Like Asian is a success, successful model minority. And so that comes with a huge pressure for all of us. You have to be doctors, you have to be engineers and everything like that. So we have been doing a DEI report and I didn't see enough um, Asians uh, for Walden. And I was wondering, looking back and I was like, well, they are not, we don't have, we don't offer medical degrees. We don't offer engineering that much. We don't offer science degrees. So no wonder. So that brings a lot of pressure on Asians, including myself when I was coming for psychology. What are you doing psychology for? So that's a cultural pressure and cultural um, understanding that we need to also have. So again, I'm speaking for the Asians, so I wanted to bring it up too. And if I could just I jump to, on that. I, I want to, yeah. I'm sorry. If I could just jump on that and say, you know, many people see me and assume she's African-American until they hear me open my mouth and I start speaking. And I was born on the shores of London and my father is mixed. He's, my grandfather is a white Irish man. My grandmother is black from Barbados. On my mother's side, we've got Syrian and Caribbean, African, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, and the other piece I wanted to add was, I'm probably here simply because of the diversity um, safe space that 
Gina and I developed in the social work program. And that's the focus for here, hence the reason why. And we had the option to say, nah, um, which I appreciated, but you know, no, I, we, we, you know, we said, sure, we just come here and be a part of this. And it's great to meet others who are doing similar things under the banner of diversity, equity and inclusion here at Walden. And I just wanted to say, you know, that I love this and, and I'm gonna say it one more time, which is what I opened up with. Everything that we're saying um, confirms for me uh, that we need both. We need the formal training because everyone doesn't know all that we know. Everyone here hasn't heard of cultural humility, haven't heard of, we may know cultural competency and what that is, but we have, some haven't even heard the term. Some haven't heard the term Latinx or all the, the various acronyms that are available out there. So we actually do need the formal training so that we have the knowledge base by which to operate with one another, but we need that additional experiential piece as well, whether that's immersion, learning, you know, those process groups, groups like this, whatever that may be, we need them both. So I'm going to ask something of all of you that I have not asked. And Nina, depending on how quickly we go through this, I'm going to ask you a final question. Um, I want people to have something for their toolkit. So I'm gonna ask you to make a recommendation of a book, an activity, or a movie, or some, or, or music that you think would benefit people as they continue to develop an orientation towards cultural humility. So I'm gonna tell you one, I'll start. I've been watching um, a, series of, uh, a series of cooking, cooking ventures with Padma Lakshmi uh, all over America on, um, on Hulu, I cannot think of the name of it. So if someone thinks of the name of the actual program, put it in the chat area. I would recommend it to anyone. Taste of the Nation, thank you, Tracy. I have absolutely loved that. And I will watch, I binge watch the series and I'm gonna go through it again. Gina, what would you offer to people? You know, as I think about it, I, I really would just make the recommendation of befriending difference and really being able to talk to individuals in different cultures versus just relying on our academic knowledge or you know something we see on the screen but bringing that personal back into culture thank you gina tamika yes actually we um from the sacred space um forum we created a resource for faculty members um, which is a personal social justice resource toolbox. Um, so we certainly can make that available to everyone in CSBS. Thank you so much, definitely. Kathy. Um, Kathy I'm currently Cooley. reading, yes. I'm currently reading uh, White Supremacy and that's a really great book that I would offer others. Um, but similar to, is it Gina? Um, what you said, it's reaching out to others and just inviting and entering into conversation with our colleagues and, and being raw and vulnerable. Just that experience alone, I, for me, has been better than any book that I can read, any movie I can watch, just living it out. Thank you. Thank you. That, I agree with you. Dana Marie? Uh, 
just piggybacking on what everyone has said, and I'm an old movie buff, and there was an old there was an old movie where there was a young girl that looked white. Imitations of life. Imitation of life. Imitations of I life. I recommend that book. Excuse me, that movie to be watched. Thank you, Lamart. Well, uh, a couple things. I think number one, we need to. I'm going to encourage people to communicate. And when I say communicate, uh, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid um, to hear what people have to say. Uh, and um, one of the things I used to do in a classroom setting was at the beginning, I would have my students get together and they would count off by four. And then I put them in groups and I said, okay, you have to now make a list of everything that everybody in this group has in common but it can't be something that you see physically. For instance, if everybody in the class in the group was wearing glasses, you cannot put that down. But if, and I said, if three of you have it, but the fourth one doesn't, you can't count that. And I said, and they didn't limit it to anything else, but other than that, um, and force them to start looking at more things that we have in common that we, than we do not. Uh, and a lot of people didn't realize, oh, yes, I've traveled to Germany as well, or I've done this or I've done that, so that they can, that helps starts the communication uh, about what we share together as opposed to what uh, keeps us apart. Thank you. Thank you, Lamar. Jesse? Yeah, I'm going to uh, move away from the reading, but walk your neighborhood. I mean, the average person may know the person next door and that's it. I walk and walk and walk. And with COVID, I walk the whole community. I have met four different rabbis. I've met other community people, and now we have this whole forum where we talk. We talk about safety in the Jewish community. We talk about things that we normally would have never talked about. We are here. We're talking about our yards. We're talking about family. We're talking about education, where you come from. We've actually built a community of family. We no longer have communities. Even churches that used to be community bases are no longer community bases. You have people to drive 50 miles to go to a church and may pass 20 more. So the community around them, people don't know each other. Um, people knock on my door doing background checks. It says, I don't know them, but I'll make a point to know them now. So even that, you need to make sure that just walking in your own communities. I think right there we start, we will learn so much from each other and embrace each other start there and then we can go on and just go from there but just from that i made sure that my grandkids get invited to the synagogue they go to every every religious institution here based on the kids will make you meet everybody so just the kids embracing each other even sharing meals um i had a lady from ethiopia that had a car accident her little she didn't speak english but her daughter did and she would always say, I like your tie every day I walked out the house. But that started a relationship. She was involved in the accident. The young lady was translating to me for her mother about her safety. What that did, that opened up a whole community of people from the Ethiopian community that embraced me or helping them. One little good deed goes so far. And, and just be open to anything and everything. I had a little struggle with the food eating, but I got there. I got my hands in it now, but, but we learned so much. 
and we just have to embrace the cultures and we just enjoy a lot. Thank you. Internet. I would say while we are starting the conversation that this cannot be the end. And I would challenge all of our program directors to not only further the conversation, but hold our feet to the fire so that we move to action. Thank you. Thank you. Sharupa. Hey there. I was listening to all of them and I have did a mixture of all of those things during the COVID time too. So I have been watching, I would say I have never watched so many movies or TV series or web series ever in my life and um, until the COVID hit. So I have been watching different movies or uh, series from Breedbox. And I'm trying to understand the European culture um, much more. I've never lived there. I'm trying to understand the culture. But I have to say my most favorite movie has become um, Losing Isaiah. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, you know. Um, so I would say this culture. So I'm trying to still, as I said, I'm still trying to understand that uh, the cultural diversity is so much you know, so much all around us. So that's what I am trying to still understand and learn from everybody around us. And um, I would say that would be our goal, self-awareness, self-critique, self-reflection, and understanding of the differences and what others can offer and how we can make it a lifelong learning habit from. Everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Sharupa. Kathy. Sorry about that. Um, I love to travel. I've traveled to many countries and it, when you travel, it just does something for, for you and how you see the world, how you speak, how you engage, what you talk about. I understand it's COVID season, we can't do that. So create communities where you learn through immersion, storytelling through immersion. So I've created some small communities where we tell stories. And those communities are diverse in so many ways. So that's one way um, during this season to, to you know, harness technology and diversity, create those communities, use storytelling. Um, it's just something beautiful. If we all sat and we had another three hours to have cocoa and you know, marshmallows and Caribbean food, the stories that we would hear would be really empowering they would probably move us to tears make us laugh you know so there's something powerful that happens when we tell stories so immerse yourself through listening to someone else's story and learning from them so we're a little bit over so i'm going to ask three more people to tell us something but to shorten your response greg what would you recommend to people well i want to be the book so I invite all of my colleagues, if any one of you want to reach out to me and we share stories, like KG just said, I consider myself a storyteller. Y'all know I got preachers in my family and I love to talk. So if anyone wants to reach out and just have a conversation, find me on the Walden Index and, and we can talk. We can talk. The first time I met Greg, I looked at him and I said, church knows church. What's up? Vinton. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tell us what would you offer to people? I'm gonna offer this uh, statement that if your world isn't diverse, inclusive and affirmative, it's because you chose it that way and you need to decide why and how you're gonna change it. 
Oh my, Benton, thank you for that. Nina, I'm not going to wrap up. I'm going to allow you to do that. I'm gonna to say to everybody on the panel, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate what you have to offer to us as educators and members of the Walden community. I encourage everybody to take advantage of what you all know and what you share by reaching out and connecting with you to learn more. Hey, Nina, I wanna ask you this. Based on your tenure at Walden, what you've seen and having a, a very broad um, background, what's the thing you're most hopeful about at Walden University about this conversation right now? Well, let me first give you my recommendation because okay. I'm going to be left out. Okay. So uh, the movie is called The Way Home. It is 19, mid 19 so it's a little outdated, right? But it is a phenomenal movie of different panels of women, uh, racially diverse panels of women talking about their lives, and it is completely still relevant today. I learned so much uh, from that. You sit in classes a lot. I will put that in the, um, the chat. So those of you who have kids or have watched the uh, movie Zootopia, which is one of my favorite movies, by the way. Uh, the person who wrote, who did The Way Home was a um, consultant, Shakti Butler. And if you saw Zootopia and you saw just how well they captured diversity in America, you'd be like, who, you know, how did, yeah, Disney surely didn't come up with this on their own. Anyway, that's an aside. What I'm hopeful about, yeah, it, Zootopia is great. Just watch it if you haven't. It's an amazing movie. What I'm hopeful uh, about is that for the, I'm sorry, it just feels like the first time to me, and I've been here, it'll be 20 years next year, uh, that we're actually directly engaging uh, in this discussion, and we're engaging in it at different levels. What I, you know, would have loved to talk about is the institutional stuff, since that's kind of where I'm focused right now, is because, you know, all of these things that we're doing are great, and I'm loving them and, you know, mentioned to Savitra, can we get a best practices document going from all the things that you all talked about, you know, during this two hours of what you're doing in your classroom? Because I think that would be, I mean, that's an easy thing we could do. Uh, but what are we doing institutionally, right? And I feel like even with the fits and starts, I'm hearing institutionally. Yeah, we're still in the we'll see where it goes phase. Right, but we're talking, you know, I'm from Missouri, but you know, at least we're talking about it, right? And, the, and not just, hey, we're so diverse as a university, which, you know, uh-huh, how diverse are we? How diverse are we? It's like a joke, right? When someone says that, how diverse are we, right? But now I think we're really starting to talk about what we can do. And I wanna hear what the institution's gonna do and, you know, how we're gonna look at recruitment and training and, you know, inclusion, and so, you know, what kind of support are we gonna give all the faculty? Not only just to learn, right, but also how to produce, produce in the classrooms, connect with students. I feel like for the time, this is an ongoing conversation, and we've just not had that before. So it being in HR, as well as in the provost's office, you know, we'll see if that's the ticket, we'll see. Well, I want to say to all of you, thank you so much for being here. I love you all. Thank you so much wow. for being here. Have a thank great you. day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed this two-part series on cultural humility. To dive deeper into this content, search for the Cultural Humility Learning Unit in MyLearn to listen and reflect on the discussion.